This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets, fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now. After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Welcome to the Sufi Heart Podcast with Omid Safi, featuring teachings and stories from the wisdom of the Islamic tradition. Omid invites you to a meditation on the transformative power of love and recalling the necessity of healing our own hearts through healing the world. If you'd like to support Omid's podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Omid. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Radical Love podcast on the Be Here Now Network. Uh, in this podcast, we're going to be talking about the sacredness of love, sacredness of love in this tradition of spirituality that extends back centuries to giants like Rumi, Attar, and others. The name of Rumi is very well known to a lot of people. A lot of us may have read Rumi in translation or in the original. But it's some of these giants who stand behind Rumi, who prop him up, that Rumi and his followers themselves are reading and meditating on, who um, we want to be talking about in this session. So... I want to take us and introduce us to an extraordinary giant of the realm of the spirit by the name of Ahmad Ghazali. Ahmad Ghazali, who is a 12th century mystic, he lived about 150 years before the time of Rumi in what is today Iran. Um, he was a mystic, as were so many of those in that age. Um, who was equally comfortable in Persian and Arabic, and he writes in both Persian and Arabic. 
Uh, and I want to talk about his teachings on radical love because it is Ahmad who leaves us the first complete book that we have on this notion of radical love. And when we speak about radical love here, what we're talking about is this concept of ishq. Ishq. And um, let's dive a little bit more deeply into this concept. Uh, the Quran, the divine revelation, the divine unfolding for, for Muslims, speaks of many terms for love. Typically, it talks about the term hub, hub, H-U-B-B, hub, which means um, loving kindness, if you would. And there are so many passages in the Quran that talk about God loves humanity. God loves those who embody beauty. God loves those who do justice. And this word hub, or loving kindness, itself has very beautiful meanings. Um, some people say that it comes from the word seed, seed. Um, so you plant a seed of loving-kindness and you wait patiently and it gives forth a beautiful tender shoot and it becomes a flower and it becomes a tree and in time it may give its own fruit. One of my favorite metaphors that the mystics use to talk about this hub or this loving-kindness in our ancient texts is... Interestingly enough, they connect the meaning of love, of loving-kindness, hub, to the word for bubbles. Bubbles. Um, they get a lot of pleasure by talking about the extraordinariness of everyday objects, of how the awesome and the amazing and the wonderful are revealed in what is already around us. And this is in fact something that is in the heart of the Islamic tradition. Yes, there are extraordinary visionary experiences. Yes, there are flashes of light and insight. Yes, there are times that you hear the voice of God coming from within as it is coming from around you. And there is also the everyday beautiful experience of the wondrous. In fact, the same Ahmad Ghazali, uh, whom we're going to be talking about, loves to quote a saying of the Prophet Muhammad, um, whom, of course, they see as the greatest of the mystics, in which Muhammad says, I was sent to raise you up, to lift you up from your habits. I was raised to lift you up from your customs. There's a way in which the extraordinary has become mundane to us. There's a way that our senses have become dull to the wonder that we see around there's a way in which we have to learn to wonder again. We have to see the miraculous in the everyday, to weep 
at the mystery that is a sunrise, to have our hearts burst open at the morning song of the birds, to have a butterfly fluttering its wings take our breath away, to be like a child who giggles and laughs in awe when they see the most amazing everyday experiences. Uh, And of course, this kind of an insight, this way of living and being is not unique to the mystics of this tradition. Um, Those of us who know something about these mystical paths know that the higher up the mountain you go, or the deeper in the ocean you go, uh, the more similar the insights of these spiritual giants become. I don't know of any wiser voice of the Jewish tradition in the 20th century than that of the great extraordinary rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. And it's Heschel who says um, about this way of living in wonder, what he loves to call radical amazement, radical amazement as the refusal to take anything for granted, to regard anything as final. And when he's asked about, Rabbi, how do I live in awe? How do I live in this sense of wonder? Heschel smiles and says, it takes three things to attain a sense of a significant being. Three things. And he names them. God, a soul, and a moment. God, a soul, and a moment. And he says, and the three are always here. I love this emphasis, and the three of them are here. Not that they're there. They're here. They're right here and now. There's a reason why this Radical Love podcast is on a network called Be Here Now. It's not be there now. It's not that salvation and enlightenment and illumination are somehow there. They're here. Right here. Right where you are sitting or standing or walking, listening. The possibility of a wonderful, wondrous, amazed, amazing existence is right here, right now. So how do we get there? For the mystics of this tradition, it is love. It is this unfolding of this love, this bubbling over of this love that leads us to a wondrous existence. So when they're discussing this concept of hub, sometimes also we see variations of the same term, mahabba or muhabbat, loving kindness, they say that it may come from the root word for bubbles, bubbles. And uh, in this this age, uh, whenever you wanted to drink something, some tea or some coffee, you had to boil some water. And you wouldn't put it in a microwave. You would put a pot of water on a fire and you would stand over it and watch it as the water 
would boil. Nothing was more ordinary than to watch water boil. If you wanted to make something, to cook something, you had to boil water. So imagine how many thousands, how many millions of times people had just stood over a pot of water, never thinking of it as something mystical, amazing, wondrous, awesome. So what is it that these mystics talk about a love bubble. Have you ever watched water boil? Do it next time that you have a chance. Take a pot of water, put it on a stovetop, and stand over it. Be patient. Watch your own breath enter in to your heart and come out of your heart. And you will begin to see that as the water heats up at the very bottom of the pot, you will start to notice some little air bubbles. There's air in the water always. And as the water warms up, these air bubbles form at the bottom of the pot and they start to get a little agitated. They start to get a little excited. And sometimes you see them move towards one another and link up together. The bubble becomes bigger. And as the pot heats up and heats up, at some point these air bubbles begin to vibrate in place and it's almost as if they cannot take it anymore. They cannot stand it anymore. And they begin to rise up through the water, up towards the surface, up and up and up, until when they reach the surface of the water and they hit air, they pop. And now they're free. The air is gone. And it has rejoined its sisters, its brothers. These mystics say that loving kindness is like this in our own hearts. Stay with me. They say that sometimes you see a friend a loved one, a partner, a child, a stranger, a parent. And loving kindness forms in your heart and you get excited, you get animated. And that loving kindness which forms deep in the recess of your heart cannot stand to remain hidden there. It has to rise up. It has to become expressed. So it rises through the level of your being until pop. It expresses itself as a glance, as a smile, as a word, as a touch. Loving kindness bubbles over until it is released into the same ocean of love that we're already living in. How beautiful to experience these love bubbles and to know that these love bubbles are inside us at all times and we are already in this ocean of love. The mystics of this tradition, being the great nerds that they are, they love to play with language. Language in their hand is what 
paint is in the hands of Michelangelo. It's what a violin and piano might be to Mozart and Beethoven. Language is the instrument through which they experience and they express these mystical yearnings. But they also said that loving kindness is not all there is. Loving kindness, there's something civil about it. There's something gentle about it. There's another kind of love. And that love is fierce. That love is bold. That love is a fire. That love is eshk. This love is radical love. It's extreme love. They said eshk is hob when it transcends all of the bounds. That radical love is loving kindness when it transcends all of the borders, all of the boundaries. Most of the mystics said that radical love is a quality of God. It is one of the divine traits. But the mystics that we are going to be talking about in this podcast, like Rumi and like Ahmad Ghazali, they say something different. For them, eshq or radical love is the very being of God. They say that it is radical love that brings us into existence. It is radical love that creates us. You are made out of this radical love. You are born for the sake of radical love. You are nurtured in love. You are sustained through love. And we have to merge back into this cosmic current of love to find our way back home. And just as they did for love bubbles, they give us some explanations for where this word eshq, radical love, comes from. And it's a beautiful metaphor. They're very ingenious in talking about where does this term eshq come from. And my favorite explanation that they give, and again, you have to stay with them just a little bit, is that eshq is something like an ivy, but an ivy on crack, an ivy out of control. In the southern part of America, where I live, we have a variety of this called kudzu. And when kudzu starts growing on a tree or on a house, you better watch out. Because before long, the kudzu takes over the tree and the house until all that you see is the kudzu, right? You just see the bare contours of what used to be the tree or what used to be the house. And instead, there is this kudzu ivy everywhere. So what does this have to do with love? And what does this have to do with radical love? Well, in this explanation that they give us, they say, all of us have measures of our ego. 
all of us have measures of our selfishness. Of the parts of us that want to say, it's all about me. And even love, we think. It's about me, myself, and I. It's about my happiness. My, 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 my. But love forces us to reach beyond our ego. Love says, it's not about me, it's about you. It's about how you and I have to become something that I wasn't before. That it's after seeing you, after being with you, I can't think of a me apart from you anymore. That I've merged into you. There is a surrender in this love. There is a surrender of the ego. And it's in this sense that they talk about radical love as a kudzu, as an ivy, that covers up our selfishness. It eats up our ego. The ego is trying to get out, and love says to it, hush. Because there's a new queen in town. There's a new king in town. We serve a new master now. And the master is love. We serve love. We do not serve the ego. We do not wake up in the morning just to please ourselves. We do things for the sake of love, to bring comfort to one another. So let us move to talking about these extraordinary mystics who wrote these wonderful books on radical love. And we're going to talk for a little bit about this exquisite master called Ahmad Ghazali. Ahmad Ghazali dies in the year 1126. 1126, 12th century mystic. He himself is not particularly well known except to love mystics. But he has an older brother who is very well known. His brother was called Muhammad, sometimes also known by his Arabic nickname Abu Hamid, Abu Hamid al-Ghazali. And this older brother, Muhammad or Abu Hamid al-Ghazali, who dies a few years earlier in the year 1111, is usually compared to St. Augustine in the Christian tradition. He is that important. He is usually considered to be the most important Muslim theologian. He writes a wonderful book in four volumes called Ihya Ulum din The Revival of the Religious Sciences. The Revival of the Religious Sciences. And this is kind of a sum total of all of the great Muslim disciplines of knowledge and piety up to that age. There is Quran in it. There's the words of Muhammad in it. There is law. There's philosophy. There's theology. There's mysticism. He was so great that he was called at times the proof of Islam. The fact that you know Islam is real is that it's produced human beings like this. And this wonderful 
older brother, Imam al-Ghazali, received every recognition that the world had to offer at that time. A few centuries before there was an Oxford and a Cambridge, the most distinguished university in the known world at that time was a university in the eastern part of the Islamic world called the Nizamiya, And it was this older brother, Muhammad al-Ghazali, who had the most prestigious post in this university. So imagine sitting so high up in that world where you have the most distinguished scholarly position at the most famous university in the world at that time. And then this older brother has a spiritual crisis He starts doubting, how do I know? How do I know anything? How do I know that I exist? How do I know that God is real? How do I know what I think I know? He's been this extraordinary theologian, this juridical mind, and he starts having a mental breakdown because he begins to doubt the possibility of certain knowledge. So he gives up this position. He gives up actually for a while his family, his wife and his children. He runs away from the university. He goes into a spiritual retreat in Jerusalem until he reemerges as a mystic. And he says, I know because I've experienced these things to be true in my heart. He comes out of this experience with a sense that there is certainty, but not in your head, but when your head and your heart become one, when there's knowledge in your bones, when you've lived the truths that you are preaching. During the time that this older brother has his intellectual crisis, and he runs away, and he goes on a spiritual retreat, somebody has to take over his classes. And it is this younger brother, Ahmad, who writes the wonderful text that we're going to spend our last few minutes on, who takes over this most distinguished position in the world at that time. I mention all of this to talk about how this love tradition that is the subject of our Radical Love podcast was not some marginal phenomena. This was not some esoteric secret that you had to hide away from people to express it. Nor was this something that was seen as heterodox. In fact, love radical love, amazing love, sacred love, sensual love, was as much in the middle, at the heart of what it meant to be a person of faith in this medieval Muslim society. The great masters of love were our most prized scholars in our most prestigious public institutions. 
When we think about the society, we have to imagine a society where love is public, where radical love stands up in the middle of the society, bubbles over, and calls us to become one with God. We know some really beautiful, amazing stories about this younger brother, Ahmad. Younger brothers, younger siblings can sometimes be a little mischievous. They can be uh, rascals sometimes. And Ahmad seems to certainly have had an element or two. Uh, It's the older brother who has all the credentials and all the respect It's this younger brother that seems to have something, something about him. Um, I'll tell you a few stories about him before telling you the main assertion of Ahmad Ghazali in his book. A couple of stories might might do. Um, So first of all, the world of Ahmad Ghazali, and we will come back to this idea in some of our later podcasts, was one which completely accepted the notion that the beauty of Allah is expressed through the natural world and expressed through human beings. That the divine beauty is expressed just as much through the female form as it is through the male form. There was an intense bond of same-sex friendship, and indeed love at this time. It didn't express itself physically through the form of sexual union. But there was a bond between men and between women that was intense, that was faithful, that was passionate, that brought people together in a bond of affection that sometimes is hard for us to fathom today. Ahmad Ghazali had these spiritual friends, men, with whom they practiced this model of how to be lovers of God. And they would sometimes sit together with a copy of the Quran and a single rose between them. You would meditate on the divine beauty revealed in the rose, the divine beauty reflected in your companion, and where this beauty must come from. Right? Imagine a very intimate scene in which you're sitting across from your spiritual friend. Two friends across from each other, mirroring each other, adoring one another, and adoring the beauty that is manifest from God in us with a single rose between you. One day as he's sitting there in this game of divine contemplation in the human form, somebody who is not part of the circle comes in, interrupting this meditation, and says, oh, I'm sorry, am I interrupting? And Ahmad Ghazali looks at him and says, Allah, by God you are. By God 
you are, right? I think sometimes today we have inherited a kind of almost Victorian sexual ethics that is hard for us to imagine this more fluid gender norm at this time. There's another uh, wonderful story. Uh, this one comes to us from Zakariyoy Qazvini, in which there was a man, uh, a man of ill intention, who wanted to hire a woman uh, to be his prostitute for the evening. And Ahmad Ghazali finds out about this. We're not told what he does with the man. The feminist in me wishes that we were given that half of the story as well. But he doesn't want this woman to become exploited. And so he goes to her and says, how much is he paying you? And the woman says, names a number. And he says to her, I'll pay you more than that. Come with me. And he takes the woman to his own house. So imagine, he's this world-renowned mystic, this extraordinary scholar, and he's seen going back to his house with a prostitute. He brings the woman, offers her his own bed, a good night's rest and a meal, and spends his own night instead in devotion and in prayer. When the morning comes, he pays her, and he says, you are free to go wherever you wish. This is a kind of act of love which is more concerned with the dignity of that woman than it is with his own reputation. Right? This is a kind of tender act of selflessness which puts another person's well-being ahead of what the people, whoever the people are, might do and say about him. There's more stories, but let's go and talk about the main point that Ahmad Ghazali raises in his masterpiece. And we will come back to this book again and again in our podcast. The book is called Savaneh. Savaneh. Fortunately, uh, there is an English translation of it. Um, it is called uh, Savaneh, S-A-W-A-N-I-H, and is translated by a wonderful Iranian scholar named Nasrullah Purjavadi, um, and it was published some 40 years ago as Savane Inspirations from the World of Pure Spirits. Inspirations from the World of Pure Spirits. If you love Rumi and you love Plato, the Savane is right up your alley. And we're not going to get much further than the very first page of it. Here's how the Savane starts. Ahmad Ghazali begins by praising God and he says, I thought I would say a few words about ishq, about love, because I have a friend of mine who begged me to write. He says, if it was up to me, I would never bother writing, but this friend of mine begged me. So I agreed. 
I agreed that I may put down a few words on paper, hoping that it reminds him of the reality of love. Out of a sense of friendship, I wrote for him, but I had one condition. And this is the only condition that he gives for writing a book on love. He says, says, I agreed to write a book for him, for my friend, on the realities of love, on the condition that you do not think of it as being the love either of the creator or the created. In other words, he says, I will write you a book of love as long as you realize that there is one love. There is not the love of God and the love of humanity. If you claim to love, if you claim to love, you have to love all. You cannot claim to love God and be cruel to God's creation. Your path to Allah goes right through humanity. The rest of the book is a meditation, is an extension, is a commentary on this whole tradition. And it is, in fact, in the very next page that Ahmad describes this path as the religion of love, mazhab ishq the path of love, the school of love, all of them are acceptable translations. And he describes this love as an eternal pre-existing condition of humanity. This love existed before we were, before we did, before we are. So, that seems like a good place for us to pause as well, and we'll come back, inshallah, God willing, at a future occasion and continue our conversations about the path of radical love. But I thank you so much for being with us on this podcast, and I look forward to having you with us on a future occasion. Blessings. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets, fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, 
flexible and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.